everybody. And welcome to New Day Church. And as we continue our sermon series called Christ the King, where we're studying the gospel according to Matthew. But before we get started today, I just want to really know how many of you have really been dying to hear this message this week? I just need to know. Has anybody been dying to hear it? <laughs> You've been dying to hear it? I really thought preparing this message was really going to be the death of me, everybody. But um, you still found me here. Hey, you laughed better at my jokes last week. Now you're just moaning. What's going on? What's going on? These are wonderful dad jokes. Thank you very much. You're right. So in case you're new to New Day and you're like, what is wrong? What is happening right now? Where's Mike? I just want to let you know, um, if you've been tracking, our text today is this. It's Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. And in these particular verses, we're actually going to see the king's teaching on murder. Murder. And so I had kind of teased it a little bit last week at Easter. Uh, as I've been scrolling through Facebook in the weeks prior to preparing for this message, one of my friends had a commented on a post from 22 News. By the way, when you post on other people's stuff on Facebook, if we're your friends, we see it, okay? We know everything you're saying to everybody, so just a heads up, just a reminder in case you weren't sure. Uh, but here's the post that they had commented on, a 22 News article, how to murder your husband author on trial for husband's death. I know, it's wild. Now, let me read you a portion of this article. So this woman wrote an article about killings their husband, and then all of a sudden her husband's dead. Nancy Crampton Brophy, a 71-year-old romance novelist, has authored nearly a dozen books. But it's a blog post she wrote in 2011 titled, How to Murder Your Husband, that's now turning heads. So more than a decade after penning the post, Brophy is now on trial for the murder of her 63-year-old husband. Chef Daniel Brophy was found dead inside the Oregon Culinary Institute in 2018 as students arrived for their classes. Nearly four years after the well-known chef's shooting death, the murder trial is underway and expected to last weeks. Now, one key point in the trial is that Crampton Brophy's How to Murder Your Husband blog post has been excluded from the trial. The novelist wrote the post for a writer's workshop, and it has garnered loads of attention since her arrest. I'm sure many of you will be searching this after my sermon. <laughs> Some of you are searching it right now, and I'm upset, but anyway. <laughs> let me quote it for you, so look up from your phone. Ready? She writes, I find it easier to wish people dead than to actually kill them. Part of the blog post reads, but the thing I know about murder, she says, is that every one of us have it in him or her when pushed far enough. Just a little side note, if your wife is an active blogger, shoot me an email <laughs> so I can start praying that she doesn't shoot you. <laughs> it's a wild story. Bethany, I'm looking at you. <laughs> yeah, Jerson's got my email. It's okay. It's a wild story, but it's the line at the very end that actually rings most true to me after studying for this message. I want to show it to you again. Look at this line. But the thing I know about murder is that every one of us have it in him or her when pushed far enough. Now, the statement rings true for the message today, but I don't think it actually rings true to us on like a human level. Uh, when we think of murder, we think of other people. Like you, you click on an article like that, and you think like, what a crazy person. Now, she hasn't been proven guilty in anything like that yet, but you just think even writing the blog post, something like that's a little strange. Uh, that's for somebody else. It's clickbait. It's some other article you saw on national news, and you think, oh, that would be somebody else. It's not me. I'm not a murderer. Uh, other people do heinous external crimes like that, 
And the hearers of Jesus at the time of his Sermon on the Mount, in the section of Scripture we're going to study, they, they would have felt the same way. For them, just like it is for us, the concept of murder was limited to the minds of the hearer as an ex external act, a very external act. I mean, and think about it. That's exactly what murder is. When you think of someone taking another person's life, it's just this obvious, outward, external act. You have a person that was once alive, now they are found dead, like the chef when his students arrived. It's very obvious a crime has been committed. Someone has clearly been sinned against because they no longer breathe. I mean, it's an atrocity for sure. And then if you have the evidence and you can catch the actual perpetrator, it's just kind of open and shut. It's obvious to the hearers of Jesus and to us today that there has to be a consequence, and honestly, a very severe one, because someone that was once living now no longer lives. And this is someone that we know as Christians especially was created in the image of God. So everybody's life is valuable. And so it's a serious, serious crime, and it would deserve serious consequences. Pretty straightforward stuff, and almost so straightforward that you're like, why are we even doing a message on murder? But here's the thing. Let me clue you in. The Bible says that the Lord sees not as man sees. The Bible says that man looks on the external, the outward. But the Lord, well, it's not that he ignores the external. It's just that he also looks upon the heart. The Lord looks on the inside of you. He looks on the inside of me. He knows what's really going on under the surface, and that's where our Heavenly Father is peering right now. Jesus is about to get to the heart of the matter on murder. Not just the external, but the very important internal component. So what I want to do is take a look at the King's teaching on murder with you today. If you have your notes, why don't you take them out, and this is your first fill-in-the-blank. The King is going to get to the heart of the matter on murder, and here's the first fill-in-the-blank. Number one is the standard there's a standard. Let's just read the first verse of our section today. You ready? Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus is at the Sermon on the Mount. He's in Galilee. And he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not, there's the word, murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. If you're sitting there, kind of like you were sitting here with me today, and you got a preacher preaching at you, and they say, you know, murder's a bad thing. <laughs> it's like the yeah, duh moment of like the sermon. It's like, thanks for that. Glad I got dressed today. You know, it's like, <laughs> why did I travel out here? I hope the food's good at the Sermon on the Mount. You know, it's, it, it, what's the point? What are you talking about? Yeah, murder's bad. Duh. First of all, they knew good and well what God's law taught about murder. When Jesus says, those of old, he's talking about the law. And just in case you aren't as familiar with the law on murder in the Old Testament, I want to just give you a little crash course. Take a look at Genesis chapter 9, verse 6. Here's what the law said and what the hearers of Jesus at the time would have known very well. Whoever sheds the blood of man, that is, murders someone, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. Then take a look at Numbers chapter 35, 30 to 31. Here's what the Bible says about murder again, just in case Genesis doesn't convince you. If anyone kills a person, that is, murders them, we're talking about murder, death, the murderer shall be put to death on the evidence of witnesses, but no one person shall be put to death on the testimony of only one witness. Verse 31, moreover, you shall accept no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, 
but he shall be put to death. God's law required the death penalty for murderers, and the hearers knew the external act of murder was bad. Now, at the time they were hearing it, whether it was going to be the death penalty, it was going to definitely be, if not that, a very severe punishment if that person is convicted of murder and they're liable in the courts. Even today, whether it's a death penalty state or not, even if it's not a death penalty, you know, if somebody murders someone, if this woman is found guilty of murdering her husband, it will be a very severe consequence for the external act of murder, even if it doesn't make its way to the death penalty for some. This is what people knew about murder, but what I want you to know today is the king is teaching on it now. That is King Jesus. And what Jesus wants to do for those who will hear and those who will listen and allow it to sink in, he actually just wants to raise the standard. He doesn't want to eliminate the law. In fact, if you think Jesus came to do that, you're wrong. He came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to annihilate it, to demolish it, shut it down. No, nope. there's a problem with the external act of murder, no doubt about it. But you're going to see today that Jesus now raises the standard. He's going to turn up the heat. Take a look at verse 22 with me. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Notice the consequences are identical. Liable to judgment for murder, liable to judgment for anger as well. Whoever insults his brother, he goes on, will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. When Jesus says, but I say to you, you're going to see this phrase as we teach through the rest of Matthew chapter 5. And this is absolutely Jesus upping the ante. He's raising the standard on the hearers. And he's going to do it in all different categories, but we start with murder this week. And what he's really saying when he says this, and not in just this week, but in the weeks to come, he's saying, I know you've heard this, and I know in the courts of men, there's this very external act, and there's consequences for it, there's judgment for it, we dole out consequences, but I want to get to the heart of the matter. And I'm going to start talking to you, not just about the courts of men, but I'm going to start to try to shift your attention to the courts of heaven, because there's a difference. There's a higher standard that you need to know about. You see, because the courts of men deal with the external, they can't see the heart like God can. So all we can do is judge you based on what you've shown us, what's on the outward, what you've done with your hands, but God, nope. He's gonna do a deep dive interpretation of the law. And he's gonna use those same Old Testament texts to focus on the internal reality that exists for you and me. Jesus is saying to them, it's not just a those murderer mentality anymore. It's not just those types of people do murder and not me. Jesus is raising the standard and he's saying in God's eyes, murder, well, it's much broader than you think. In the courts of men, it's an external act where you take someone's life, but in the courts of heaven, in God's eyes, it actually starts right in the heart. Murder can be right here. Murder doesn't start once you've taken a life. It happens on the inside. Now, the type of anger Jesus is referring to, we have to be clear about. It's selfish anger. 
It's the kind of anger against another person when they've done something against us and it really messed up our day. We had a plan, everybody, and they went and messed it up. It's simply something that irritates you. It displeases you. It's not according to your personality type. You see the world a little different. And it's the kind of anger that can start to be a brooding anger. It starts to simmer a little bit under the surface and you can't shake it. And what you do, unfortunately, you keep thinking about it and you keep nurturing it on the inside and it actually doesn't go away. It keeps growing when you do that. It's in the heart. You don't allow it to die and it's been holding a grudge there against another person. And that grudge that you have has turned into a smoldering bitterness against them. And now that bitterness has led you to like one of the worst things, it's unforgiveness. You can't bring it in your heart to forgive them because they've so offended, listen, you personally. They messed with you. They upset you. They insulted you. It's a very, it's all what's been happening to you. It's a me, me, me focused anger. I can't believe this is my reality right now. I am so angry. Jesus said that if you have this type of internal anger inside, in the heart, you're guilty. Not in the courts of man, don't worry about it. Courts of man, they only care if you kill somebody. But in the courts of heaven, you're just as guilty of murder. The standard, I don't want you to miss this, it has been raised. Jesus raised the standard. It's not just external. And now watch in verse 22 how it progresses. Murder, it starts in the heart. Take a look at verse 22. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. I don't want you to miss this. Murder starts in the heart, but guess where it starts to go? Right to your mouth. It doesn't go right to the hands, interestingly enough. It starts to the heart and it moves to the mouth. You say something to somebody like, you fool, you jerk. You idiot, you mother of pearl. You didn't say of pearl, did you? You got nervous for me, didn't you? You're like, whoa, what's about to go on? He's gonna get fired, you're never gonna see him again. Jesus knows what he's doing here. He, he knew that everybody listening to him had felt anger. And I'm not talking about the righteous kind. There is a righteous anger, so don't get, don't get caught up on this today. Don't let this be your out. Jesus had righteous anger. When Jesus flipped those tables, what was happening? People were profiting off the poor for religious reasons. Having poor people pay an increased price for animals to sacrifice in the temple, Jesus was upset, rightfully so. How dare you profit off the poor, especially in the name of God? Don't even think about it. Flip a table, no problem. Jesus isn't sinning. That's righteous anger. Some of you are righteously upset right now because you know what's going on across the world. And you see people that are innocent dying. You see genocide. You see things that you know that's not right, period. Not about you personally. It's just there's a moral right and wrong, and that is wrong. And something in you has a righteous anger for that. And it'd actually be a bigger problem if you didn't. That kind of anger, that's not what we're talking about. When innocent people die, you should be upset. And there is a list. There's a list of things that are very likely a moral stance and a righteous anger. But Jesus knew that more often than not, 
It's not that kind of anger that gets us caught up. It's the selfish kind of anger. It's the murdering kind of anger. More often than not, Jesus knew how we were wired and we're pretty selfish. And more often than not, it's just you kind of offended me personally. And I don't really have a leg to stand on morality-wise. I'm just mad at you. And it's that kind of anger that can burn inside of us. It's the murdering kind of anger. And guess what Jesus also knew? He knew that everybody had also at some point, even if you think, yeah, I mean, I've been angry. Well, he knew that at some point you also said something about that anger. It's gotten to your mouth. Now you say, no, Andrew, I'm good. I control my tongue. Yeah, but even under your breath. No one else heard it around you, but you know it got there. It was something you muttered under your breath. Jesus knew that that murder had started in your heart and it had moved to your mouth. You had called somebody, even if under your breath, an idiot, worthless, a jerk. They're so stupid. They're so dumb. And the worst of all, they're a cotton-headed ninny-muggins. <laughs> if you've seen Elf, you know that's the worst. I mean, it doesn't get any worse than that. I want to make sure you're awake. Jesus again says, if you've allowed anger that is murder in its own right internally to start in your heart and it's leaked out of your mouth, well then you're liable to the court. You have a severe penalty just like murder does and then he kicks it up another notch. Take a look, he shifts the phrasing and he says, you are liable to the hell of fire. With the phrase at the end of verse 22, make no mistake about it today, Jesus has now officially shifted the attention away from the courts of men, which is where you and I like to focus, and he's saying to you, you've got to shift it eternally. You need a biblical, godly perspective. I want you to think about the courts of heaven. And when you insult someone, a creation made in the image of God, when it comes out of your mouth, you are now liable to the fires of hell. There's a spiritual component to this murder that's in every one of us, and it starts in our mouth, in our heart. It moves to our mouth, and then it can actually get to our hands as well. But it's all murder. Courts of men, no it's not. It's only in the hands, but courts of heaven, oh yeah. All of it's the same. It's a matter of the heart. And now in the words of Jesus, he would say that you and me and anybody listening is guilty. That's the new standard. But the king's teaching doesn't just set the new standard. It's a higher standard. It's turned up the heat for sure. But he also gives a solution. That's your next fill in the blank. Number two, there's a new standard in town, but there's also a solution if we look closely. And that's exactly what we're going to do. Take a look at verses 23 and 24 with me after you fill that in. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, verse 24, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come offer your gift. It's interesting because we were kind of mad at somebody else and then it shifts to us. And the hearers, when they hear this thing about the altar and leaving their gift, they would have known, and we don't know this as well, so that's why I'm going to tell you about it. But at that time, the altar, and the only one for bringing an offering, would have been a temple in Jerusalem. 
And they were in Galilee hearing this. So take a look at the screen. You'll see that Jerusalem is at least 80 miles of a journey to get from Galilee down to Jerusalem to offer a gift. But Jesus is saying, then when you get there to Jerusalem and you realize someone has something against you, I want you to leave your gift right there and I want you to go all the way back up to Galilee again and figure it out. Reconcile it. Come to terms. Make sure you've settled whatever the issue was. Get together and get on the right page, the same page. And then and only then, once you've reconciled that and figured it out and closed that gap, then you can come all the way back down again. And then and only then can you offer your worship to God. I want you to understand something. This is going to be so important for you today to really get the understanding of the scripture. This is not a prescription on how to deal with an offense with another person like so many have preached it in the past. And honestly, like I kind of wanted to preach it before I studied. I was thinking I'd give you some practical tips on helping you like kind of work something out with another person that you have issue with. But that is not what Jesus is doing. Jesus is assuming that at this point, you understand that you're the murdering type. You've had that murder in your heart and it's moved to your mouth and maybe or maybe not, it's gotten to your hands but the bottom line is, is you're standing there guilty as charged. So when he says someone has an offense against you, you know it's true because you've messed up in your past at some point. At some point, you've missed the mark on this whole murder thing because now it's anger in your heart at a minimum. So you know you're guilty, you're in the wrong now You've wronged somebody, and if you've ever wronged somebody, there's only one solution, and the solution is always reconciliation. But the point of this right now with Jesus talking to you is he's saying it's not just a person you've wronged, it's God. That thing in your heart, you've wronged your heavenly Father. That thing in all of us, every single person, no one's excluded. It's called sin, and that's the problem. So he has something against you. So you've wronged, and you must now reconcile because you can't approach a holy God with even a little tiny ounce of dirt or spot or sin. You need to settle the issue. And what Jesus is trying to say with a little hyperbole is there is no trip too long to take. If you can figure out the trip, if you can figure out where you need to go to get that reconciliation, if you know how to get to reconciliation, it can't be too long. There's no trip too long. You've got to take the trip. You've got to get reconciliation right away. You've got to do it quickly. Find it. Get the solution because there's a wrong. God's got a wrong against you. And if you're ever going to go to him, you have to make it right. I hope you're tracking with me today. You've got to close the breach. And the standard is such that we're all guilty of murder. And the only solution is reconciliation. No matter what the journey is to get there. No matter the cost. And finally, the king teaches that there's a sentence if we don't choose to take that journey of reconciliation. That's your next fill in the blank. Number three is the sentence. You don't want to reconcile? Okay. 
But Jesus is going to let you know there's a sentence for that. Take a look at verse 25 and 26 with me. Jesus says, come to terms quickly. Take the journey quickly. Find reconciliation with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Verse 26, truly, Jesus says, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. I don't know if you're picking up with this today. I hope you are. But Jesus is not giving a practical message on advice for legal disputes. If he were, this would be a really bad job at it. There's a lot of details missing. I mean, he didn't give us anything. Like, what was the dispute? What was the issue? What are we talking about here? I mean, it could be so many different things. This is not what he's up to right now. Like so many parables, Jesus is always trying to get to a bigger point. So when you read your Bible, don't take it for the external surface level. You've got to drive down deeper. Don't look at it through the courts of men lens. It's always about the courts of heaven. So what is the deeper issue? What's Jesus really trying to convey to you and to me? And Jesus is shining a light on a relationship that has gone bad and it's currently unresolved. And it's not just some relationship. Jesus is alluding to the relationship between the hearers of this and their relationship with a holy, heavenly Father that loves them and wants them dearly. There was ever a way that was going to be found to resolve that relationship, to reconcile what was broken. Jesus is saying, you've got to quickly resolve it. You've got to quickly try to get that wrong relationship made right again before it's too late. Now, don't get me wrong, you can absolutely take this message and you can apply it to an earthly relationship and honestly, I think it's going to go pretty well for you. I don't think it will be a bad idea, but you just have to know today that that's not the king's point. The king Jesus, his teaching, the point here is that you have a broken relationship with God and without reconciling it, the just sentence would be prison. And he doesn't mince words. You saw it in the second verse of this section. Jesus says, and that prison, let me just be clear, I'm talking about hell. And we think of hell, and we think of like the devil and a pitchfork, and we think fire. I don't know what you're thinking when you think hell. Can I tell you the worst part of hell and this prison that Jesus is describing? It's the opposite of reconciliation. It's separation. The worst part of hell will be that you'll be separated from the one relationship that you were meant to have in the first place. That is the sentence for those that choose not to reconcile. You will not have access to the one and only relationship you were ever meant to have. That's the standard it's been raised. The solution is reconciliation and the sentence is a prison of separation apart from the holy God, the heavenly Father that loves you so much. We're all murderers. We better reconcile quickly before it's too late. Now, if you were looking for a practical message on dealing with your selfish, unrighteous anger, which we now know is murder, it's not the one Jesus has in store here. You might have to sign up for an anger management class. I guess that's an option for you. Good luck. We can help you with some counseling, and I mean that. We actually could. Um, You might want to watch Anger Management by Adam Sandler. I think it's a movie that he had. I don't know if that's going to help you or not. I'm not sure, but you could try. 
And you say, Andrew, you know what? I know you're joking, but like I do, I concern myself with this. I mean, my anger in my life, I have all this external stuff that happens. I mean, you should see I've made a mess. I mean, I know some of you, you're in some marriages that it's so bad right now. And you think, Andrew, my anger, this external thing that you're, you know, are you joking about it? I'm like, well, that was a joke, but it's no joke when you see the results of what that external anger can be. And guess what? When people are watching you, anytime you act out in that kind of anger, whether it's this woman that we've already showed in an article about them actually taking someone's life or just losing your mind in a store or when we saw you talking with your spouse, every human sees the external and we judge what's going on on the inside. We see that external act and we make a, a judgment. We don't try to be judgy, but it's pretty natural for us, isn't it? And we think we know what went wrong. We know where they've missed the mark. It's a very external act, but don't forget today, that's what men do. That's what women do. We look upon the outward, but the Lord sees differently. Man looks at all that stuff, and I know it's important, and I know it's messing up some part of your life, but before you're ever gonna get that external stuff figured out, you've gotta get deeper. You've gotta get down to the heart of the matter. There's great practical tips out there. I promise you can find them, especially in the year we live. It's accessible to you, but that's not even the big, that's a Band-Aid. That's not the, the source of the issue for you. And Jesus is digging down deeper. Let me get to the heart of the matter. The courts of men only care how you look when you go into a store or when you drive your car. But the courts of heaven, they want to see what's in there, what's on the inside. And that's what Jesus wants you to hear. It's the heart of the matter about murder today. And God is looking upon our hearts. And guess what he wants? He wants you. He wants me. That's what he wants so desperately, even more than cleaning you up on the outside first. He wants everything about you and everything inside you. And the sentence is separation from him if we can't avoid the penalty of murder. But all he wants is that reconciliation. So instead of giving you practical tips today, here's what I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna give you some help on how to avoid the penalty of murder. Because the penalty of murder would be the separation from the same God who that's not what he wants at all. He wants the exact opposite. So here's number one if you're still with me. How to avoid the penalty of murder, number one is you've gotta plead guilty. Enough's enough. It's time to plead guilty. I get all kinds of questions as a pastor, and I love getting questions, and I like to have the answer. I often don't, unfortunately. And some of them stump me, and I wish I had better responses for people so many different times. But one that comes my way, this one I actually don't have too much trouble with. And I'll get this here and there, and people will get upset when they start thinking through this whole salvation thing, and they say, hey, Andrew, what if a guy like a Charles Manson, if he ever decided on his deathbed like to accept Christ, kind of like the criminal on the cross, and say some of your cutesy little Christian prayers. And now all of a sudden you're telling me that a guy like that can go to heaven? Yes. Like, I don't know if I want to be in a heaven like that. <laughs> and they get upset. How could that be okay? How can that be just? And people have real issue. And this is a real problem and a hang up. And honestly, when people ask me that, I mean, I got plenty of my own issues and my own hang ups and my own questions. But I don't have it about that one. That's not one that trips me up, and I'm gonna tell you why it doesn't trip me up, and maybe it will help you moving forward. 
but I actually know what the Bible teaches on this particular topic. I'd be bothered by that if the rule was that really good people get into heaven. That would be a problem because he's not a good person. And I don't need to know his heart. I saw what he did on the external. It was atrocious. So that was fruit of what I know was going on in the heart. But that's not the point. The Bible doesn't say that good people get to heaven. The Bible says forgiven people get to heaven. And if you don't have that ultimate paradigm shift, you'll be lost in Christianity for far too long. Until you understand this fundamental truth is that I don't care how good you think you can get, you will never earn your way to a holy God. You have to know that Christianity only teaches this. It's forgiven people that make it to heaven. Now, I didn't commit that horrific external act like Charles Manson. In no way do I want to diminish that. Those were atrocities, and God would not want to diminish that. But that's not the point today. The point is this, that even though you didn't do something like that on the external, God knows the heart. And at some point, we're all guilty. In case I still haven't convinced you, let me ask you a few questions today, rhetorical. Did you have an argument with a family member in the past month? Okay, maybe you didn't. So maybe you didn't murder with your mouth. So let me say it like this. But did you have an imaginary argument with any family member <laughs> within the last month? <laughs> you really gave it to him in your mind, didn't you? I mean, you won. You won. I'm sure you won. Does that happen for you? Then you're guilty. How about a coworker? Any anger in your heart for those lovely coworkers of yours on the other side of that cubicle? You love them. I know you do. Any anger towards them, though? How about your boss? My boss is my brother-in-law. I've got to be really careful on this one. How about your boss? I love my boss. <laughs> you ever say anything unkind about your boss? The past six months. Guil- gu- guilty. Remember I said that anger starts in the heart and it moves to the mouth. This is Jesus and his teaching. And then it goes to the hands and you're like, Andrew, good, I'm good on that one. I haven't killed anybody. Okay. But has murder gotten to your hands? Let me ask you this. Sometimes... Your hands can kill with a sentence. Type through a nasty text message or a nasty email or a review that you left on Yelp. (laughs) Anybody have a perfectly timed Facebook post in the last month and you really gave it to them? Those other ones? Those other people. They're other people. They're not like you. They're worse than you. Not you, huh? Have you ever been upset with furniture when you're assembling it and it's missing that one final piece? (laughs) And you thought only Jesus turned over tables. (laughs) Whatever that piece was, you threw it across the room. You were sick of it. Hate Ikea. (laughs) That's not true. They're usually pretty good at it. Or what about this? person cuts you off, so you get back in front of them in the passing lane. You fight. I mean, you slam the pedal. That's not happening to you. You slam on the pedal. You get in the passing lane, then you slow it down. And something in you is like, this feels kind of (laughs) good. And then you see them just boiling behind you. If we've ever done something like that, the Bible's saying today, Jesus is saying today, the king's teaching is we're guilty. I think I've convinced most of you, but if you really can't plead guilty on murder today, I just want you to do this for me. I think it's worth it. I want you to ask the Holy Spirit of God to reveal to you in your life, where is there murder in my heart? Where have I maybe let it out of my mouth? Where has it maybe even got into my hands? God, show me. Don't let me walk out of this message thinking I'm in the free and clear. Convict me today. 
We ask for the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Show me where I'm guilty of murder is the request that we need to have to God. Because it's not good people that get to, hev to heaven. It's forgiven people. And you can't be forgiven until you actually finally believe that you're guilty. If you've been pushing that away for so long, trying to convince yourself you're good enough, you're gonna tip the scales, you'll never be able to get to the point and the source and the root of the Christian faith which says we have to wave the white flag of surrender. I'm guilty as charged, it's true. Even on a spotless week, I've got a little bit of dirt on me. And I need to be forgiven above all else. You see, you're guilty as charged. So it's time to plead guilty, but that won't let you off the hook. It's just the start. Here's number two, if you're still with me taking notes. You're also gonna have to find a great mediator. You gotta find a great mediator. In the courts of law, in the courts of men, a mediator and mediation is a procedure in which the parties discuss their disputes with the assistance of a trained, impartial third person who assists them in reaching a settlement. You'll see people try to do this in divorce all the time. Two people so far apart and there's this person, a mediator, who can finally bring them together. Talk it out. Let's get on the same page. You see, when you're guilty of murder before a holy God, you're separated from him. Here's you, here's God. Jesus said, you gotta reconcile the matter quickly. What I so love about Jesus, and this is why I'm so in love with him, and I hope somebody here will fall in love with him today, and if you've been in love with Jesus, I hope it gets rekindled today. Because what I so love about my Savior is he doesn't just say, hey, you got a problem. you got to get reconciled. Now go 80 miles, and then do it again, and then do it again. He'll do it for hyperbole. But guess what Jesus will really do at the end of the day? And what I know that the Bible teaches about our Savior is that he's never going to ask you to go do something and then not assist not come in to help, not come in to be the all in all that you never could have mustered on your own anyhow. He says, I will make a way. It seems impossible, that 80 miles that faces you for reconciliation, but I will make a way. See, my Jesus said, I'm not gonna leave you alone, not my Jesus. He said, I'll be your mediator. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse five. There is one God He's your heavenly father, he loves you, he wants relationship with you desperately, but you've got a problem. It's called murder. There's one God and there is one mediator between God and men. And that's the man, Christ Jesus. Amen. The point says find a great mediator, but it's a little bit misleading. You have to find the great mediator. In the courts of heaven, there's actually only one mediator that will do and his name is Jesus Christ. And until you have the mediator, you will never have the reconciliation that you need between you, a murderer, and a holy God. The Boston Marathon was last week, 26.2 miles. It's a lot closer than Jerusalem and Galilee. If I told you that reconciliation was 26.2 miles, I don't care if you got the nicest heels on today, ladies, you should sprint. If I said reconciliation is 26.2, run. If I said it's 80 miles one way, 80 miles again, and then 80 more, I don't care. I gotta go. I've gotta run as fast as my feet will take me to get the reconciliation that you're offering me 
But the beauty is today, it's not an 80-mile run. It's not 26.2. Your mediator's right here. He's right now. And his arms are open wide for you, ready to forgive you, ready to mediate on behalf of you to the Father because you're worth it to him. Who was worth it? You. Me. Murderers. You say, I'm not a murderer preacher. Stop preaching that. Stop saying that. If you're still not convinced, don't forget that it was ultimately your sin and mine that hung Jesus up on that cross. Who murdered Jesus? Don't get super historical about it. Get personal about it. It was you. And it was me too. And the same ones that killed him, he wants to mediate for them. You'll hear nothing like that in any other religion across the globe. There's nothing like the reconciliation that is offered by the one and only mediator named Jesus. And he's available to you right now. So stop pleading the fifth. It's time to talk about it. Don't plead innocent. You know now that you're guilty. So plead guilty as charged. And once you do, I hope you'll run to the mediator quickly. And I'm gonna let you do that right now. Will you bow your heads and close your eyes? Let's pray while there's still time. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now because we can. We couldn't before our great mediator, Jesus. But he has made a way back to you, God, even though we're guilty of murder. And while we were murderers, you loved us then. Not until we got cleaned up. Nope, that's other religions. You said in their murder, in their guilt, I love them enough to send the great mediator, Jesus Christ, to die in their place for their sin. God, we put him on that cross, but I'm so thankful that he was willing to die for us. I'm so thankful for Easter last week. He rose from the grave. He defeated death, sin once for all. So now we can have that relationship with you. Reconciliation is ours if we'll admit our guilt today. So God, I pray for whoever needs to do it today. God, if it's someone who never followed you before, God, would they plead guilty today of their sin? And would they receive Jesus in their life right now to be the mediator, to settle their sin issue once and for all? God, would you give them heaven today? Help eternity be their home, God. Give them salvation today. Help them to accept Christ. God, for all of us Christians who have been living this external life thinking we can earn your love, we get so down when we miss the mark. God, we've forgotten the truth. We've forgotten the truth that we're guilty of murder. We can't shine ourselves up enough. We can't clean ourselves up enough for you to say you love us more. You loved us in our sin. So God, we know we need reconciliation. We need the purity, but only that can be offered through Jesus. Remind us today, God, of that truth. Help us to plead guilty. It's not good people, God. It's the forgiven ones, so forgive us today, I pray. It's in the name of the great mediator, Jesus. Amen. 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 Thanks for experiencing this message with us. If you've been blessed by what you heard, you can give a one-time or reoccurring gift at newdaychurch.cc forward slash giving or text any amount on your smartphone right now to 84321. We would love to connect with you even more. So be sure to like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram. And don't forget to find us on the Church Center app for more information about all things New Day. May God bless you and we hope to see you again soon.